you know, it is such a blessing. Even though it's messy and rainy outside, it is such a blessing to be able to gather together as God's people. You know, whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're, you're, you're in your little sanctuary at home, you know, we're, we're gathering together to hear from God. And so that is my prayer for today, that we will all hear God's voice loud and clear through whatever words I have to say. So, we are a church that believes and we are committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. These past few weeks, we've been looking at the core values that all Christians should hold. You know, they're just core values that as disciples of Jesus Christ that are important to us. And we've been looking at how these values are are displayed, were displayed by Jesus and in the early church as well. And so they're, they're values that we should embrace and hold dear. And they started with intimacy. And it's kind of like, you know, I look at, I, I, as I listen to the messages, you know, and as I looked at the, the different um, values, I thought it's kind of like a slinky going down the steps. You know, one just kind of folds into the next one. It folds into the next one. So it started with intimacy. And from intimacy came passion. And from passion came vision. And vision goes into evangelism and multiplication. And then family and then stewardship. And today, we're going to be closing out this series by looking at the value of integrity and why it is important in our lives and in our faith. If you missed any of these sermons, I would encourage you to go back online and watch them because all of them, I think, were just God's word and his, his, his values, the core values, they're so important. So just take a little time and do that if you've missed any. Today, we're going to start out by listening to the words. We're going to listen in to the words of the Apostle Paul as he instructs instructs us and instructed those back then on the importance of integrity in following in the footsteps, in his footsteps, and then also in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be turning to the sec- to the book of Second Timothy, and we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter, uh, verses 1 to 8. So hear the word of God. In the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We see in today's scripture that what is happening in our world and in our church today has been going on for a long time. Yeah, the early church also dealt with people who took God's word and who used it in a different way. Throughout the New Testament letters that were written to the different churches, we hear the leaders of the church talk about the importance of staying true to the good news of Jesus Christ and to his teaching. So from the very beginning of the church, there were those who did not fully understand the message of Jesus, our historical faith, that's what we call it, the message of Jesus, Or there were others who simply didn't accept it, and they tried to make it something that it wasn't. They took the word of Jesus, and they twisted it to try to accomplish their own agendas. And in response to the false teaching, the early church, the founding members of the early church, came up with these statements of belief, which became known as creeds. Andy referred to to two today. He referred first to the Apostles' Creed, which was the first one and was there from really close to the very beginning of time as the the, the, uh, disciples, the apostles, uh, tried to clarify Jesus' teaching for people. And then the Nicene Creed, which went a little bit further because there was still confusion about the divinity of Jesus and where you know, how, how the mystery of God, the Trinity, the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, how they all work together. So the Nicene Creed, which we proclaimed this morning, tells us the very essentials of the Christian faith. But you know, this tendency to use scripture and twist it to uh, what we want it to say is kind of, um, it's happened a long time. But revising truth equals deception. I'm going to go back into the, in the book of Matthew, into verses 1 through 7. I want you to listen to this, these words from Holy Scripture. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's from Deuteronomy 8.3. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point on the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That was Psalm 91. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Against the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you. If you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God 
and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now, how did God, how did Jesus deal with the devil? What did he do? He went to scripture and he quoted scripture. But did you notice what the devil did in his second temptation to Jesus? He took scripture, Psalm 91, which describes the confidence that the believer can have in God's presence in the midst of danger. And he challenges it and he blatantly misuses it to try to get Jesus to test God by intentionally putting himself in danger. But actually, this tactic started a long time before that. Remember way back in the garden where the serpent took the words of God and he changed them ever so slightly in order to deceive? He said, did God really say? So revising truth equals deception. And I remembered as I was writing this message, that John, that verse from John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life eternal. Yeah, I believe that the devil's still using this same tactic today. Take the word love. And there are a couple words that came to me at this point. The word love and, a, and the word unity. Those are two biggies, I think, that are, that are being uh, twisted today. Take the word love, though. That's the one I settled on. We're told in Scripture, 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 7 tells us, it describes love love to us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This describes God's love for his children. Our Heavenly Father, like any good parent, wants the very best for his children. So... He provided us with guardrails. You know, guardrails are those things along the side of the road that keep us from running into a ditch or worse than that, running off the side of a cliff. God's guardrails have a name and they're called the Ten Commandments. They show us how relationships work best and when we apply them, they keep our relationships from running in a ditch. If we could apply them consistently, the world would be a very, very different place if we all could apply them consistently. But our tendency is to be like the prodigal son. You remember that story about how the son leaves his father's home to live the to live to live a worldly life outside of his father's home. He wants to go and experience things that he can never experience at his father's home. And at times, it, it may look, all of us, I think, at, at some point in time, 
become prodigals in some way, shape, or form. And at times, it may not even look like we've left home, except that we have accepted the world's way of thinking and doing things, and and we've allowed those things to influence our beliefs instead of following the Father's way. And if we're honest, we probably have to admit that we like to do things our way sometimes. Living life according to our own understanding, instead of struggling and wrestling and trying to figure out, what does God mean here? And although God's way might seem too hard and too narrow, his way is the better way. I can't tell you the number of people over the years as a counselor and as a pastor that I've sat with as they've struggled with decisions that seemed right at the time they made them, but ended up leaving them with unresolved pain and heartache. Decisions regarding things like abortion, sex outside marriage, sex, sexual infidelity within marriage, drug or alcohol abuse, lying, just living a lie. Or going along with the crowd in order to fit in. Decisions that are based on the world's wisdom instead of decisions that were based on God's wisdom. Following his guardrails. But thank heavens for God's mercy. Because God's mercy can heal all that pain and all that heartache from all the bad decisions we make. When we turn to him, acknowledge his ways we can be healed. Now, for the most part of my young adult adult life, I was a prodigal. Now, if you'd asked me, though, I would have told you, no, I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus when I was 12 years old. Yet I can tell you that I lived according to the values of the world as a young adult. It looked like I had a successful life. I was had finished college, I had a husband, I had two precious little boys, we had a really nice house, and we even had a dog. We went to church, but not every Sunday, and I would open my Bible on occasion, but I never got into a serious Bible study, but I would have told you I was a Christian. You see, even though I had accepted Jesus as my Savior, He wasn't yet Lord of my life. In actuality, we lived a very secular, worldly life. There was no strong foundation, not to my marriage, not to my life. The marriage was built on sand until the floodwaters came. And at that time, it fell completely apart. As that marriage came to an end, and I didn't give up easily because I looked at marriage as being a commitment not only to the person I had married, but to God. But when it finally became apparent to me that there really was no marriage to save, and I started to look at it closely, I realized what was missing. And the missing piece was God. I was raised in the church, though, and I knew, I remembered that there was another way. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So I started my journey back home, and I, can, I earnestly started to seek God with all within me. And I found that Deuteronomy 4.29 was true. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him 
with all your heart and with all your soul. I remember telling somebody during this phase of my life that it was just so strange because at on one hand it seemed like my whole life was falling apart at my feet. But on the other hand, it seemed like everything was coming together. You know, God knew. He knew from the very beginning that we would need help. So he gave. He gave us his only begotten son to save us from ourselves and to show us the way. Jesus started his ministry with the words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that means we just need to turn. We need to start looking at things differently. We need to start looking at things as God sees them, not as we see them through the eyes of our stuff, our rose or green or whatever colored vision we might have, but from God's perspective. We have to learn to see all things that stand in the way of our loving like Jesus does. And I call these our little G-gods because we all have them. Those things, those attitudes, those beliefs that need to be pruned away. And then Jesus' next words after repent for the kingdom of God's at hand were follow me. Our invitation today is to follow Jesus. It's the same invitation issued to those early disciples to come to watch how he lived in the world and to learn from him. Now, we can't walk with him directly because he's no longer here in flesh now, but we have this book that tells us how he lived and how he responded to everything in his world. So we can look to that to see how did he respond? What did he do? What did he say? How did he say it? What did he, yeah. In Matthew four twenty three to 24, we're told that Jesus then began teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing. And we're told that he healed every sickness and disease, those ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. He healed them all. Without Jesus, without his teaching, without his modeling, without his healing, without his sacrifice on our behalf, without his gift of the Holy Spirit, we cannot even come close to living into God's best. John 1.14 reminds us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came with grace and truth to show us how to live out the greatest commandment. Love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus came full of grace and truth to demonstrate how to live a life fully dependent on God the Father, and he also came to show us 
what love really looks like, which includes wanting God's best for other people. Without keeping our eyes on Jesus to show how, to show us how he, let me say that again, without keeping our eyes on Jesus to see how he showed us the way, we tend to live for ourselves. We tend to walk the way that we think is best. And we tend to be influenced by the values of the world in which we live. And this is where the church comes in. We come to church together with other believers to worship and thank God for his provision, to hear his word proclaimed, to proclaim our faith, to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. That's that accountability piece. To be strengthened and fed by God in holy communion, to engage with others in Bible study, to learn the ways of Jesus, to allow his Holy Spirit to work in us and to grow us in truth and grace together in a fellowship of an encouragement and accountability. Yeah, if we don't see clearly our own faults, and it's really easy to see other people's faults, but it's not always easy to see my own faults. And we need each other to reflect back to us so that we can grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Last week, Andy talked about how as stewards, we're entrusted with many things. And as the church, we are entrusted to pass on the faith, the faith that was passed down to us by those who came before us. In 1 Peter 2, 9 to, to 10, we're given a description of who we are called to be as the church. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This past week, uh, J.D. Walt uh, gave a beautiful comment on that, um, that scripture. And these are his words. We are a chosen people only to the extent that we have chosen to follow this person, Jesus Messiah, full stop. This is to say, we have surrendered our broken part to him entrusted our eternal destiny to him and pledged our ever-present love and loyalty to him. I think that says it pretty clearly. Recently, our ladies, our Monday morning ladies Bible study read through the book of, of Revelation and you, you heard me clearly. I said we read through it. <laughs> uh, because most people avoid this book of scripture like the plague because it is difficult to understand. There's a lot of symbolism in there. But as I, and I don't claim to even come close to fully understanding everything in there, but what I did I come away with having read through it was that the church is to represent today New Jerusalem in the midst of fallen Babylon around us, the world. So we're called to live out our calling. Now, I can't really tell you 
the day that Jesus became the Lord of my life. I can tell you the day I made the choice to follow him and ask him into my heart as my savior. I was 12. And I can tell you the approximate date of when I made the choice to start that journey that would lead to him becoming the Lord of my life. That was back in probably, oh, 1989. But I can tell you some of the things that God showed me in that journey, that he showed me things that I needed to change in order to follow Jesus. And I can also tell you that there was a shift in the things that I held as important as I sought to follow Jesus. But I can't tell you that exact day when he became Lord of my life, but I can tell you he has. And he is, because that's an ongoing thing. We still, as we continue our journey, no matter where we are in that journey, there's still ways for us to grow into Christ's likeness. There's still those blind spots in my life that I don't see, but Jim does. <laughs> you know, you do probably. But, um, and I hope that you'll share those with me because I want to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's who I'm called. That's what I'm called to do. Um, but I can't tell you that exact day when he became Lord of my life because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love about our Methodist tradition is John Wesley's understanding of God's grace. One grace, but it shows up in three different ways. First, it shows up as prevenient grace. And those are those things that happen in our life that are, it's God really calling us and wooing us toward him. And there are things that happen that we don't even have a clue before we ever even maybe know who he is. Maybe we've heard about him, but things are, things happen that we see people or we interact with people and we go, hmm, they're those little bitty calls, prevenient grace, before we've ever done anything. He's calling us. And then the second phase is just fine grace. And that's when we accept the, the grace of God in Christ. And that's what cleanses us of any of the sin that we've done in the life before. And it offers us to, the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God that includes salvation, reconciliation, and eternal life. And then there's sanctifying grace. And that's kind of where I think most of us are now, and we've accepted Christ into our life as our Savior. Then we're in this phase of sanctifying grace, and that is where God has more in store for every one of us. You know, it's where we start to see those mirrors being held up and going, oh, I do that sometimes. That doesn't look so good. And we decide to make some changes with the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us. So it is that part of us that continues to grow as, you know, until the day we die, we continue to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And as we're called to live out our calling as followers of Christ, Jesus becomes the guiding force in all that we think, in all that we say, and in all that we do. Now, that doesn't mean we don't goof up sometimes. But when we do, we now have the humility to admit it and say, I messed up. Will you forgive me? We come to value what Jesus valued. Now, you're probably all wondering at this point, when am I going to talk about integrity? And it's actually been sprinkled throughout everything that you've heard, integrity. Jesus demonstrated integrity in everything he did. 
And just to make sure, though, that you understand, here are some definitions for you. Integrity. Merriam-Webster explains, uh, defines integrity as a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, incorruptibility, or an unimpaired condition, soundness, or the quality or state of being complete and undivided, completeness. Now, the Cambridge Dictionary wasn't quite so wordy. It just had a sentence, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles that you refuse to change. Having integrity means doing the right thing in a reliable way. It's a personality trait that we admire in other people. It means a person has a moral compass that doesn't waver. It literally means wholeness of character. A person who lacks integrity will make decisions based on how it will make them look rather than on how it might benefit others. They look at their actions as a performance to be rated for approval rather than a step toward doing the right thing for the community. Jesus lived his entire life with integrity, bringing grace and truth. Remember how he interacted with the religious leaders of his time? He challenged them to show more grace because they were so tied up on the law that they forgot to have a heart of compassion for people. Remember how he taught, how he interacted with the woman caught in adultery. They brought, the leaders brought her to him and stood around and he knelt down and wrote some things in the ground and one by one they left away. And he said, the one who's without sin, throw the first stone. And then when they were all gone, he looked at her and he said, where are those who condemn you? And she said, they're not here. And he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Remember how he dealt with the rich young ruler, the one who said, what do I do to to inherit eternal life? And he said, you live by the Ten Commandments. You live by the laws of God. And the rich young ruler said, well, I've done that all my life. So Jesus turns to him and he says, then go and sell all you have. And come follow me. Jesus pointed out to him where his little G God was. What he placed as more important than God was his money. He couldn't let go of it. So for us to live with integrity, we have to know what we value. And we have to know, (coughs) we have to believe what is true as Christians. And we need each other to help us see ourselves clearly. God wants the best for all his children. His guardrails are what keep us out of the ditches in our lives. I believe that God is calling all Christians, not just those within the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, but all Christians everywhere to reexamine how we're living as his called and chosen people. And this leads us to some very important questions that we have to answer individually for ourselves. Am I living God's truth as demonstrated by Jesus? Or am I living a worldly interpretation of God's truth? Am I living a life, life as a royal priesthood, as part of the royal priesthood? Are we as a church living as a holy nation? 
Does my life demonstrate that I am living as God's special possession? Am I following Jesus living with grace and truth? Not one or the other, but both. When we live with just truth, we come across as harsh and judgmental and condemning. When we live with just grace, and that's the tendency, go from one extreme to the other extreme. But when I live with just grace, then I come across as being very accepting. And, but I'm very accepting and anything and everything goes. We can be led astray by the world when we're living just from that place of grace because we have a heart of compassion. And we can understand how somebody might do something because of that heart of compassion. But when we live for, with grace and truth, we're looking at God's best for that person. And we're looking at his rules, his guardrails, and how living within those helps people to live God's best. Every day we make choices of how we respond to the world around us. God's calling us as his church to live lives of integrity his way, full of grace and truth. I'd like to close with the words from Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15. And this will show you again how long it's been going on that people have... um, have served false gods. These are the words of Joshua. Now fear fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We have before us a choice, whom we will serve, and which way we will go with our lives. Will we choose to live God's way, or will we choose to live the world's way? Only one of these is God's best. Let us pray. Dear most gracious God, we come to you today with hearts just, um, you know, the world is so divided. And, and we don't want to divide. You know, we want to be unified. But we want to be unified in the right way, Lord. And that is unified with you. Our heart's desire is to serve you, to be your people. Or we wouldn't be here today if that wasn't our heart's desire. So, Lord, help us to see clearly. Help us to learn how to be like Jesus. Help us to embrace both grace and truth. And walk the narrow way the way of your best in all our lives. And it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.